This is Board Game Squad. The show exclusively dedicated to the world of board gaming. For those who care about the meeple and who understand the sheer pleasure of sitting at a table and enjoying human interaction. Dude, it's your turn. Are you ready to meet our hosts? Here are Adam and Paul. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Board Game Squad podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm your host, Adam. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Kickstarter projects we've been eyeing, the games we've recently acquired, and some general board game news. We'll also be sharing our thoughts and giving a review of Vitell Lacerda's Escape Plan. But to start, what have you been playing lately, Adam? First on my list, I have recently played Caverna again, which is an all-time favorite of ours here at my house. Originally designed by Uwe Rosenberg, published by Mayfair slash Lookout Games. In the, uh, in the great Caverna versus Agricola Wars, I ended up going with a copy of Caverna. I liked how it was more of a sandbox-style game, choose-your-own-adventure, whereas Agricola was more of that just strict optimization and straight-ahead strategy-style game. Have you played this one? Uh, yes, I have, and I am Team Agricola. Oh, no! <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh Yes, I, I need the pressure of having to feed my family and having a dictated strategy and optimized puzzle to solve. Which normally I love in games as well, but I really... I, I ended up siding with Caverna on this one because I didn't like how narrow my path was with Agricola. I really liked where in Caverna I could really just kind of choose my own options. I could go into a game and say, you know what, this game, I'm going to take a heavy farming strategy. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair. And they're they're both fantastic games in their own oh, right. Oh, absolutely! And I'll happily sit down and play Agricola, or I'll happily sit down and play Caverna. Uh, lately, we have also been playing a game called In Front of the Elevator. This is one that I just recently uh, got in our collection. So it's designed by Sashi, and it's published by Sashi and Sashi. All those are spelled the same way: S A A S H I. If anyone wants to look it up. It's a super clever little card game about getting your family to the front of the line of an elevator queue in order to make sure that they actually get a place on the elevator, while the secondary almost mission of making sure that they're the first one off the elevator. If they're the first one off the elevator, they're going to score the most points. And it's a really cute, clever little game where every card you play, basically the family member that you play down onto the table they go into one of the queues in front of the elevator, but they all have a special ability of one of them can jump in front of another type of family member. So if I play the little boy, he might jump in front of the little girl. If I play the little girl, she might be able to jump in front of the grandfather, etc. And you're really just trying to manipulate that line so you're the one scoring points. I, I've not even heard of this, but you know, Sashi and Sashi put out some some great games. They're they're a fantastic Japanese board game publisher. Uh, and I, I certainly love some of their other games. It's a really sweet, really light little game. We've had a lot of fun with it. My son really likes that one. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, 
also recently got my copy of, and this is this has been my grail game. I have been searching for this game for about ten years, trying to get it at a cost you know below a hundred dollars. <sighs> uh, Carcassonne the Castle, which seems like such a silly thing to have to go in search of, but it's actually really hard to find a copy of it that's number one in good condition, number two less than a hundred dollars here in the states. Uh, seems like everywhere I go on like Amazon, things like that. It's just way overpriced because it's so hard to actually find it. And, and this isn't one of the expansions that they've incorporated into the big box version of Carcassonne? No. So this was uh, a two-player only version of Carcassonne that was originally, or I'm sorry, adapted from the original version of Carcassonne. But this rule set is by Reiner Knizia. And this one was mm. published by Rio Grande Games at the time. It came out in 2003. So... I've been looking for it for the last 10 years. I don't think there was a huge print run. Somebody had mentioned to me you can still get copies in, um, I want to say Germany, but I don't recall now specifically. But, you know, I don't also have the funds to pay shipping for that kind of stuff. So that really <laughs> doesn't work for me. What you, should, sets... you should take a look at um, Amazon DE, if that's the case. Uh, that's well, actually I, a really good idea. Although I, I guess you already received a copy, so forget well, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. That would have been great six years ago, Paul. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but no, so what sets this one apart? Again, it is a two-player-only version of Carcassonne. Um, it plays just like regular Carcassonne, where you draw the tile and you place it down on the table. After you've placed it down, you then have the option of putting your meeple on one of the features of it, you know, whether it's the road, the house, the castle, the field. The field's only score at the end of the game, just like regular Carcassonne. The cool part about this is the score track assembles in this oblong shape where it's all just cut by right corners and it goes left and right and up and down and ends up forming a circle to make the score track. On the score track itself, at all those corners, are these little chips that if you score the right amount of points and you actually land directly on one of the chips, there's a bonus underneath it. And that'll give you kind of a rule-breaking option of scoring additional points for a feature or being able to score something that wasn't completed at the end of the game, taking a bonus turn. Very tactical. A lot of fun. That's so cool. We have also played a lot of Irish Gage lately because I finally got my, uh, not finally, it came right in pretty timely. Uh, I got my copy in from Capstone Games. This one was designed by Tom Russell, and it's part of Capstone's Iron Rail series that they're reprinting. And I absolutely love the cube economy in this game. For example, the cubes that come out of the bag, when they go onto the board, they land in one of the cities or into the paying dividends area. The more of the cubes that have come out, the less likely, obviously, that any more of them are going to come out. But you kind of want those cubes at the same time because those are the ones that are already on your cities, so you want those to pay out. But you don't want them to get drawn because then there's less of them available. Just really fun managing those. And I also got in our copy of Foothills. Uh, this is a newer release designed by Ben Bateson and Tony Boydell, published again by Lookout Games. It is a two-player-only train-style game. Uh, it's part of the Snowdonia universe, if you're familiar with that. In the game, you essentially have five action cards in front of you. Uh, one of them lets you clear rubble out of the way. The second one lets you uh, build rail lines once you have cleared that rubble out. 
Another one lets you build stations once you've cleared those areas. Another one lets you gather resources, which you need in order to build those rail lines and the stations. And the last one lets you move your surveyor, which is really just a little pawn in your player color that will go onto essentially a worker placement space and let you take special actions, let you convert things more efficiently, stuff like that. The really cool part about this game is those five action cards that sit in front of you, when you use one of them, you flip it over to its reverse side. And on the opposite side of the card is basically a less efficient version of another action that you have available. So for example, if I take action A, that card flips over, I now have a duplicate of action C, as well as the regular version of action C available to me, but I have to start managing how I use those actions and in what order to really optimize my play. This I've only played it once so far, but it's really, really fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. And, and this is a this is a two-player game, correct? Two-player only, yep. Which is so... That's huge in our house because it's primarily me and my wife playing games. Right but on. yeah, that's, um, that is my rundown of what I've been playing lately. What's on your list? Yeah, so the main game that's been hitting the table lately is, of course, Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon. Oh, uh, this... So now I, I received an advanced copy to review for the blog of this. Um, and I've, I've been completely enamored with it. It's it's far better than I even imagined. Uh, so for those that are not familiar, Tainted Grail the Fall Avalon is a game put out by Awakened Realms. This is the same company that put out um, Lords of Hellas, uh, Nemesis lately. Um, they're just putting out a lot of really great games with, with, with really cool miniatures. Um, and this is essentially a story-driven cooperative game. It mixes elements of Gloomhaven, so sort of like the RPG-esque designed type game, although it's, it's not a dungeon crawler. Uh, and then it combines some of the exploration that you see in Seventh Continent with laying out a new card adjacent to it, and then sort of seeing what you uncover as you go along. Uh, the difference here, though, unlike Seventh Continent, or Gloomhaven, is it's, it's much more story-based. You have this whole ringed binder that is essentially like a novel that you're reading out as you uncover more parts of the story and there's combat and it's it's an incredibly designed game system and i'm, I'm excited I've, I've done five game sessions of this um i'm on on chapter three uh, i i can't wait to dive more and more into this game and i was uh, looking at your instagram and uh, some of the comments that you've been putting out about this one that looks really interesting i really like gloomhaven's uh leveling system with the characters and it sounds like you get a lot of that out of this game as well yeah you're, you're managing your character stats there's there's four uh different characters you can choose from and there's actually a, a fifth character i believe it, it might be a kickstarter exclusive that sort of fits into um each one of your characters has a character board and then there's like a little segment that you could pop in and out uh for that character and this fifth character pops into one of the other boards and sort of takes over that character stats it's, it's just a really oh, that's cool wild system. yeah yeah it's really awesome um so I'll, I'll i'll be compiling my thoughts on that on the blog very very soon it's it's a it's definitely a contender for game of the year for me oh that's high praise okay yeah yeah it's it's, it's good um another game that i've been playing a lot lately is city of the big shoulders so very, very different than than tainted growl we're, we're talking uh, a heavy economic game uh, it's designed by Raymond Chandler III and put out by their uh, publishing company, Parallel Games. Uh, City of the Big Shoulders is essentially a, it's, it's a hybrid game. It's combining 
the stock manipulation mechanics of the 18xx genre uh and then it adds in instead of the route building aspect of 18xx there is a unique worker placement game and then it pulls from various aspects of Arkwright as well into really like what a, is a, a unique experience that mimics a lot of what I like from 18xx but fits and is condensed into about two and a half three hours of gameplay uh and and, and maybe a good introductory for that type of game but also satisfactory to people unfamiliar with with 18xx as well um this would be another contender for for my my game of the year um although on total different ends of the spectrum of, of tainted tainted grail i was really frustrated when this came out because the um the Kickstarter campaign for City of the Big Shoulders was right around, I think, overlapped with Pipeline by Capstone. Mm-hmm. And I ended up backing Pipeline because I felt like I was going to get more plays out of it. But, man, I really, really want to play City of the Big Shoulders. I haven't been able to yet. Yeah, it's 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 good. And and, and speaking of Pipeline, the, the other game that's been hitting the table lately is actually Pipeline. Oh, so. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, yet another heavy economic game. Uh, it is put out by Capstone Games and is designed by Ryan Courtney, who's, who's actually, I believe, a, a local to New York City, uh, where I'm based. Uh, so, in Pipeline, you're building uh, a networks of pipe, refining crude oil, and trying to sell them for a profit. Uh, it, it's definitely one of those optimization puzzles we were just talking about, um, and I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, I, it was head-to-head with City of the Big Shoulders for a while, and I think City of the Big Shoulders just sort of edges it out uh, just, just a tad, but they're they're both fantastic games. Yeah, after having looked at City of the Big Shoulders and playing Pipeline a couple of times, I think City of the Big Shoulders might be the better game, and it pains me to say that because I really, really, really enjoy Pipeline a lot. Yeah. Well. City of the Big Shoulders did receive uh, a decent amount of criticism. You know, um, it was a, a, a gaming rules. Uh, what's his face? Paul Grogan. Paul, Paul Grogan. Sorry, yeah. That's no, you're mind. good. Uh, Paul Paul Grogan was was highly critical of of the rule book and and some of the some of the rules he he thought were sort of maybe finicky. Uh, I I, have, I do not share his criticism. I, I think it's a fantastic game. Um, the rulebook's not perfect. It could definitely benefit from from an edit, which I believe it's getting soon. Uh, but but it doesn't detract from the game at all. It, it's it's a, it's really great. What else you been playing? Last game that I've been playing a lot of is is an older game, and it is Hansa Teutonica. It's it's unfortunately out of print. It is designed by Andreas Stedling, Andreas Stedding, sorry, and and put out by you know many different publishers over the years uh it is a high conflict euro game uh there's there's some area control in there network building uh a really cool action point allowance system plays relatively quickly Uh, most games are under two hours um and it's it's you know it's it's growing to be a game that that is gonna be in my top 10 I, i i think really really soon um and like I said, it's it's out of print, but they're they're working on a big box release. Uh, it was supposed to come out during Essen Spiel, uh, but I think they missed the deadline there. Um, they're looking at more of a a twenty twenty release for 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 this uh, re release, um, and and the designer is is working on a sort of a retheme and reworking of the title. 
uh, with a Chicago gangster theme. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to both of those. This game has been a permanent fixture on my wish list for <laughs> probably three, four years now straight. So, because it, it's just as hard to find a copy of it that people are willing to part with. Yeah, I was I was fortunate. I was actually I was just chatting with someone on Reddit. It was like I wish I could really get a copy of Hansa Teutonica. He's like, well, you can have my copy for a reasonable price. Um, so you know, I I, I I jumped on that. Don't mind if I. I would do have to nice. say that the problem with this game and and. <laughs> Is that it's it's really terrible at two players. It's borderline unplayable. Oh, that's uh, a shame. So if, if if you're primarily a, a two player uh, board gamer, then it's 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 really not going to work. And I I do also play a lot of two player games. I I play with my wife quite a bit. Um, and I, I have to save this one for for a bigger game night. But but when I take it out, it's 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 you know it's a game that I, I truly love. So that's all the games that are hitting my table, Adam. Why don't I hand it off to you, and you can talk about what's going on on Kickstarter. Well, there's a handful of things that I've been looking at lately. Um, I have actually backed a couple of projects. The recent one is called Spire's End. Um, I'm actually just going to read the byline right from the website. Uh, Spire's End is a solo and cooperative card game that harkens back to the game books of the 80s with enemy encounters, interactive story-driven scenarios, and high-end art and design. It's a unique gaming experience without a lot of baggage. Simple setup, intuitive rules, and minimal components. No DM, no bookkeeping, or character sheet. Just you, an oversized deck of cards, dice, and cube markers. And actually having, um, I had scrolled past it initially, and then after I clicked on it and took a closer look at it, there's a lot going on here with really what seems to be just a stack of cards and, like it said, uh, some dice and a couple of cube markers that you're just sort of moving around. And it's all story-driven, so you're flipping over the cards, which are um, larger, almost tarot-sized, gorgeous, gorgeous art on them. It's just driving this whole experience. And I've been looking for a really good solo game anyway. This really kind of looked like the right answer for that. There was also uh, backed The Search for Planet X. I was really excited about this one. The Search for Planet X. It's a deduction game where the board is set up and it is partially app-driven. So you log the game into the app and it generates secretly where this planet is hiding somewhere in the sky. And you're essentially using the clues that you're getting from the board and from other players to determine where it sits. It's on the same level of deduction as the game Alchemists. I think it was called mm -hmm. Alchemists. That was the one where you use your phone to scan the ingredients and it told you if mm -hmm. they were good or not. Looks really, really good. I actually watched uh, Rado's run-through of it. Solid, solid game. Uh, the other one that I was looking at and I have not actually backed was Clash of Minds, Holmes versus Moriarty. This is a two-player card game in which players take on the roles of the famous detective Sherlock Holmes and his greatest rival, Professor James Moriarty. Two powerful minds trying to figure out the intentions of their adversary every step of the way. They only have 12 hours to solve or commit the crime of the century. It includes card drafting, deck building, and hand management, which is... Man, if you want to get me interested in a game, hand management and card drafting is a really, really good way to do that. The other one that I was looking at, but I wasn't sure on yet, because it looks like it's just going to be a little bit too big and too meaty for it to actually come out as often as I would like, is a large Euro game called Legacies. 
this is a game where you're basically playing out the course of six generations of your family spanning past, present, and future. Um, it's described as simple actions with incredibly deep choices. I, there is a couple of videos on this one on the Kickstarter page. I need to look through them a little bit closer before I actually put money down on the table. Yeah, this, this was the only one on your list that had previously caught my eye. Uh, it looks super interesting. Oh, there was one more. I'm sorry. Uh, Galilean Moons, um, which is a pretty straightforward area control game. And I'm saying straightforward in a good way, because it's not convoluted rule set with lots of edge cases and exceptions. It was very much a, your dudes are going to go out onto the map and they're going to stay there, and it is going to be a majority rule, but the method for getting them out looked really clever with how everything was being used. Yeah, I actually I did check this one as well. This is it's like card driven, right? Mm -hmm. So you to, in order to um, move into a territory, you have to have like certain cards or or, or something of the of that nature. Yeah, and I wish I knew a little bit more about them to go into greater detail. The <laughs> the reason I don't uh, when I'm backing Kickstarter projects, or at least thinking of backing Kickstarter projects, I'll often put the little reminder or hit the little heart on the website so that it will remind me of the 48 hour mark if i've lost interest by then then i don't even pull the page back up if i've still maintained a little bit of interest that's when i actually go through and do the research and within the last two days is when i usually back a project it seems like a good way to avoid <laughs> impulse buys well i had a problem for a while but <laughs> <laughs> i got better so haven't we all yeah <laughs> um but yeah that's kind of everything that has been happening on the Kickstarter front as far as my end goes. Um, what about, what's going on on your end with the news? Oh, the news. On to the news. Okay. Uh, there's been a lot of mention of board games in popular culture lately. Um, I, I think board games has been mentioned for, for a couple seasons now on South Park, but it's been increasing in the number of references lately. Uh, so, not the last episode, but the the previous episode to that we're talking season 23 episode 6 south park ran a full parody frame by frame of dice towers board game breakfast um the you know the subject we're talking south park here so the subject was of course uh, perverse they weren't they weren't talking about board games uh but it, it was straight up a frame by frame parody of dice towers board game breakfast and I was so uh, bummed I, yeah, I missed this episode entirely. So I mean, it, it was it's so cool. Like I, I was blown away. I was like, "This is an obscure hobby YouTube channel that they're copying here." Uh, and you know, South Park's such like a mainstream entity. Uh, it, it blew my mind to see that. Um, and not only that, fast forward to the next episode, season twenty-three, episode seven. The episode is entitled "Board Girls." And the entire episode, for the most part, talks about board games and board game culture. Uh, so the basic concept of this episode is the girls are intruding on the boys' board game club. The boys are complaining that they don't want girls to participate. And throughout the course of the episode, there's references galore. They're playing Rising Sun, Blood Rage, Star Trek Ascendancy. They're making reference to BGG, The Dice Tower, Rodney Smith, Becca Scott... Um, Uwe Rosenberg, Crunchy Euros, the Tel um absolutely amazing. Yeah, actually, I, I enjoyed this one. After you were talking about it the other day, I, I pulled up the episode because I had to go back and watch it at that point with all of it that was going on. 
Yeah, it's it's I, I again uh, blew my mind to see that. Uh, apparently, the the creators of South Park, uh, so Trey Parker, is a is a, is a big board gamer, uh, and and Tom Vassell came out and said that you know they 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 played games fairly recently at one of the Dice Tower events. So that's where that's coming from, at least. Uh, it's cool to see. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we, we see a uh, South Park-themed board game coming out soon, to be honest. That's oh, sort I'd of how these love to go. see a deck builder about that, especially <laughs> after they put out, like, Stick of Truth and uh, what was the other one? The Fractured Butthole, which are actually really solid RPG game designs with mm-hmm. the action selection. So I think they could actually translate it well. I, I had no idea if those even existed. Oh, the video games? Oh, oh, they're video games. I see. That's right. Yeah. Gotcha, Sorry. Gotcha. No, no, no. That makes sense. <laughs> I got ahead of myself. Moving on to more board game in the media and popular culture. Uh, I've been watching this board game themed anime lately. Uh, <laughs> kind of a weird thing. Uh, so it's being ran on, on Hulu for those of us in the, in the United States uh, simultaneously with its release in Japan. It is entitled... And I'm probably going to butcher this. Hokago Saikoro Karabu. Uh, and in the U.S., it's it's this, the title is After School Dice Club. Uh, so the concept of the anime is essentially there. there is a, a, a group of schoolgirls in Kyoto. Uh, they stumble across a board game store that sells Euro games. And the owner is saying, well, these are games from Germany and... They sit down and play a game, and they're like, "This is really interesting." And you know, episode after episode, they they usually tackle one Euro game, and you know, they the, the girls play it. They they go through the rules. It's mostly lighter, fair games, but it's 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 kind of bizarre to see, and it's it's uh, you know, it's it's not particularly good. But I'm I'm watching it just because there is a board game anime, and again, I think that's just sort of fascinating. Are they tying the games into the story, or is it more of just a backdrop for, for setting? Yeah, it's it's not really tied into the story. It's it's the story is there's this group of girls and they have their own sort of interpersonal relationships, and then at some point during the episode they they play a game. So moving on to more board game centric news, actual titles being released. Uh, Cephalo, Cephalo Fair has games has officially announced Bloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, a simplified and streamed lion standalone version of Gloomhaven. Uh, so this game is being priced around forty to fifty dollars. Features fewer components. There are no modular maps. The maps are actually, I believe, in a book. So you open up a a ringed binder or, or something of the sort, and the map is is right there. Um, there's no retiring characters. Um, it, it's it's just sort of this like simplified version, and, and the, the aim is to sell it at retailers like Barnes and Noble and and, and Target, uh, and open it up to a larger audience, and also get rid of some of the fiddliness of of having like a million different components to set up a scenario in Gloomhaven. What do, what do you think about that, Adam? I'm actually I'm excited for it. So I I do already have Gloomhaven, which gets played fair amount in our house we actually need to bring it out to the table more than now that i'm talking about it again but um to have a lower price point version of it or one that's more commercially available even that's you know not 150 dollars sitting on the shelf is such a good option to have for people especially people that 
you know, when I've talked about Gloomhaven in the past, they've, you know, said, wow, that, you know, sounds really interesting with the card play and the characters that advance the more you play it and get better and level up. To have a smaller box version of that that maybe you could gift out to someone that you've talked to the game about before and give them almost as an appetizer for it. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I'm excited about. In fact, just recently, my, my cousin who lives out in, in Washington State was was messaging me he says you know i i i know you really like board games and my friends and i have, have been really playing a lot of board games what would you suggest and, and just knowing him i i know he would love gloomhaven um you know he's, he's a big like video gamer and and you know I, I think this is something that would really appeal to him but the complexity of of the original gloomhaven and having to deal with all the different components i, I think it made it a no-go would this have been released already? I, I would have instantly suggested it to him instead of like a pandemic. Which oh, I, absolutely. Right. You know. and Isaac, the designer, you had brought up video games. It feels very much like he takes that kind of inspiration from almost video game menus where you're selecting your abilities and changing your stats around where he integrates that into the games he makes. I don't know if you ever had a chance to play Forge War. But man, no. that was that was intense. That was the first big box game he put out. Actually, I think it was the first game he put out. Period. Um, it was essentially three games packed into one. Uh, the first game you are gathering up resources through this cool mini game of sliding your characters along these hex grids. The second portion of it was taking all the resources you earned from the first portion and bringing them into a market, exchanging them for um, items, equipment goods and services and then the third portion of it was using all of the new equipment and goods that you have for completing quests to impress the king phenomenal game but man it was massive real estate hog mm -hmm. and a lot of rules overhead i i feel like that one had sort of got brushed under the rug I, i've i've seen it mentioned just sort of looking through his bgg profile but I, i've not really heard many people discuss it lately it was a hard sell just considering how big it was as far as like the rule book big and again real estate on the table was <laughs> a little, sure. little bit hard so moving on and in some really unfortunate somber news game designer chad jensen has passed away uh, he lost the battle with cancer we we knew who chad was was sick for some time but you know he he, he finally uh, and unfortunately passed uh, just recently this week, uh, Chad is Jensen is is known for titles such as Dominant Species and and war games such as the the Combat Commander series. Um, he will be missed. Absolutely, that's so much talent. Yeah, and and you know we we've yet to see the the follow up to to uh, Dominant Species, which should be out shortly. Oh, was uh, that I, finished? I, I believe he finished it. Um, oh, they were just okay. Sort of finishing up the the production of it. Um, and yet, yet another passing. This happened a little bit earlier. Francis Tresham passed away. Francis Tresham is the creator of, of the 18xx uh, genre, as well as the the civilization genre of, of board games. Um, it's 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 a sad time for for board games. We're we're, we're losing some of the greats. Do we have any happier news to end on, though? Absolutely. Oh, good. We okay. have some controversy to <laughs> add. You're, you're killing yes, me. Good God. Yes. Wonderful controversy. Gray Fox Games has delivered copies of Reavers of Midgard with poor quality cards, as as oh, yes. are are you know categorizing them as. 
Um, this ended up being a huge surprise to backers as one of the stretch goals was in fact linen finished cards and they chose to not honor this stretch goal at the end of the day and instead gave these sort of inferior quality cards and this sets sort of a strange precedent you know um, a lot of people back kickstarters because of you know the the kickstarter exclusives the stretch goals and in, in the case of this campaign linen finished cards was one of those and they chose you know after the fact to not deliver on that um, and it's, it sets a it sets a poor precedent and i understand things happen but you know the communication was not there um and you know this is really why you know someone might have considered to back a, a project uh it's one of the considerations versus waiting for it to go to retail oh absolutely well and speaking from personal perspective i it's the same well similar situation with what happened with um barrage if you're familiar with that one it was another big box euro that came out this year and um i actually did back that one and there's a lot of backlash similar reasons there was a lot of promises made about stretch goals and quality they were going to do um extra pieces and they were going to be sending coins and they were going to make sure that there was dual layer punch board for some of the components including the map and things like this and the product that they delivered the wheels that you put your resources on between turns ended up coming to backers completely warped they were they wouldn't mm -hmm. sit flat on the table they were essentially unusable um, some people still are reporting not receiving their expansion copies of the game i'm one of them i've been writing to the company and not hearing anything back and it's the same thing that you were talking about that the problem with gray fox of the lack of communication and promises were made and then gone back on a lower quality product was shipped than what they said they were going to be doing and it's a good way for board game companies to lose respect from their backers and not get repeat customers let's let's talk about Vitella Lacerda's escape plan. This is a big game. So a Lacerda game. Did you expect anything different? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to take us through the rules briefly? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Escape Plan is a heavy Euro game designed by Vitella Lacerda and published by Eagle Griffin Games. Players take the role of a professional robber who has successfully pulled off a grand heist. Uh, but are now at risk of being caught. A game of escape plan is played over three rounds, which represent three days, during which they must recover as much money from the heist as possible that they've hidden throughout the city, while evading the police and ultimately making their big escape. During your turn, like Paul said, there's going to be three rounds, essentially three days in the game time. Of each of those rounds, you'll typically have three turns in each one, sometimes five if you're able to hustle and gain some extra resources. During your turns, you're, like most Vital Lacerda games, it's coming down to a simple enough decision. You're either going to rest and refresh all of your equipment and items and accomplishments, or you are going to move your pawn from one site to another and then use the benefit of that site. This is typically going to be either getting income or grabbing money that you've stashed away in that place, which are going to be endgame victory points, which stay secret throughout the game. Paul, what did you think of it? I, I, I know we have some different opinions on this. Um, Foreshadowing. I love Escape Plan. It is 
my favorite Vitell Lacerda game that I've played to date. Now, I, I've, I've not played all of his games. I, I own I own Lisboa, and I own Escape Plan. I've played The Gallerist, and I've played uh, CO2, the, the second chance version. And, you know, hands down, I preferred Escape Plan. It's certainly his lightest game. And that's that's not saying much. This is still very much a heavy game, um, but it it is a, a bit lighter than his other games, um, and that's actually one of the things I liked most about it. it. the The weight of the game sort of I sort of worked for it. I felt, um, you know, some you know still definitely some some difficult decisions. It's still crunchy. Um, you have very limited actions throughout the game. So there's three days, uh, like we said, three rounds. Each one of those days, you have three action points that you can use and you can earn some other action points. But for the most part, you're going to be having somewhere between like nine to you know 12 actions the entire game. Uh, and you need to maximize your point during that and make sure that you actually escape. Because if you don't escape, you're unable to sort of pay that fee at the end of the game you're, you're actually eliminated from the game so it's 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 tight it's crunchy it's it's thematic um the last round you you could feel the real tension of making a getaway um it, it's it's this is what i like in a board game and you're right you and i do have differing opinions on this game so it's it's hard for me to actually disagree with you because everything you said is actually a lot of aspects that I really, really liked about the game. It was super thematic, which Vital's really good at bringing into a game. There is a lot of tension in it, but it... Actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I didn't feel any tension in it. So for Ooh. me, yeah, it's... <clears throat> because when it comes down to it... What ended up kind of tainting my opinion of the game as a whole was not the mechanics or how it played during the game. Downtime was a big part of my enjoyment here, but that's I'm going to set that aside. The larger problem I ended up having was with the story that it wanted to tell. And normally I'm not the one to care about the the theme of a game. I'm more in it for the mechanics being interesting and enjoyment while I'm moving pieces around. But I couldn't shake it throughout the entire game. We skipped over the most interesting part of the story and the game I rather would have played, which was the actual planning and execution of the bank heist itself. Mm. I wanted to go back and play that game. <laughs> that was all I wanted. Meanwhile, where escape plan picks up is we've already knocked over the bank we've already gotten away we have stowed cash all around town and now we find out that apparently the cops have leads on us so we need to gather up all the cash we've stashed away and gtfo out of town so the whole time we were playing i'm running around town i'm gathering up money that i've stowed away but there was no I'm going to go back to there was no actual tension in the game. The three days are going to be played out no matter what. The first two days, at least, are going to be played out no matter what. And then during the third day is when there could be tension, but I still didn't feel like there was any. For the sake of 
if you are the first one off the map, then you've made it off the map. Everyone else then might have to pay a little bit of a penalty to get off the map because they didn't do it sooner. So it starts to feel like a race during day three, but you don't actually earn anything for winning that race. So with the with the rule of everyone getting off of the map, it, when it was explained to us, and we may have gotten this rule wrong, but if one person didn't make it off the map, then no one actually won the game because they were basically turned into the police. Or did we get that wrong? You know, I'm, I'm not actually sure. I would have to check that. But That's, my, my yep. belief was that just that person was eliminated from the game. And that, you know what, that might be the case. And if that is, then that might actually change my opinion a little bit. But it, essentially what it came down to with our playthrough was it, it was communicated that if one person doesn't make their escape off of the map at the very end of the game, then no one has won because they end up turning everyone else in. So that took all the tension out of the game. You couldn't force someone to not get off the map because you wanted them to get off the map. You just didn't want them to get off first. So there was no real competition. The third round of the game turned into a cooperative game versus a competitive one that it should have been the whole time. Mm. I, 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 do, I, do, I do think you played this incorrectly. <laughs> and it might be. but And that's... If we did, it's that one minor thing that we... And everyone ended up making off the map anyway. And no one was trying to force anyone to not get off the map. All in all, it was... For me, at least, I, I didn't enjoy a lot of the game because, again, I wanted to be playing the other game of the bank heist and the planning of that, not the trying-to-skip-out-of-town-on-vacation method. And then if we did get that other piece of that wrong, that's okay. I'm willing to admit that. I'm even willing to give the game another try, of course. But it still didn't play very fun. My turns weren't fun. And that's... It was just a bit of a drag for that reason. Which is a shame, because I really like Vital as a designer. Yeah, I, 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 I would give this another play if I were you. I've played it in total of... Not not excessively, but like I think I've played it about three times now, um, and you know there's some definitely some player dynamics that that go into this. Uh, you have people that that could play it very safe, and then that last day is going to be less exciting. Uh, overall, that the, it, you're right. It's the it's that last day that that is provides a lot of that tension, um, and it sounds like you played that rule wrong. So if, if, if you were lacking the tension because you played a rule wrong, I, I, I think that would have detracted from the experience. Totally possible. What, what, you're, what you're dealing with at that last round is money is tight in this game. So making sure that you have enough money to escape uh, is, is, is a problem to solve. On top of that, we all want to maximize the amount of money that we're making. So there's this, this sort of decision-making process of do you use like an extra action where do you go? Do you forego, you know, getting a little bit of extra money because you may not be able to afford it? And, you know, everyone's sort of sort of racing. It's definitely a race to get to that exit. And, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I think two, at least two of the games, we had a situation where, you know, people were standing up the last round. 
It, it was <laughs> was real, real tension. Whereas at my table, uh, there were definitely people standing up that last round, but it was because they were so tired of sitting. There was a lot <laughs> of downtime in between turns. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I, you're absolutely right. I need to give this another shake because I'm I'm probably not giving it enough credit. But it there was just those couple of problems where within that last round, it does feel like a race, which is great. I, I don't mind a race game, but essentially it came across to me like it was a hundred meter dash, but at meter 99, the judges just started to decide who put in the most effort rather than who actually crossed the finish line first. So if a race doesn't matter, then it shouldn't be a race. And it's one of those design aesthetics that I really Mm. it's one of those things that just gets stuck in the back of my head and I have a hard time letting go of. Yeah, that's interesting. Because also, although it's a race, it's sort of not a race because you're not... It's well, if you've done well act. enough... Like, it may be fine. Right. You may, may actually want to be last because you're trying to balance other actions and you Absolutely. have enough money. Uh, so it's fine to be last. It sort of depends on what your strategy is and what you've been going through. Uh, for the rest of the game and what everyone else is doing. I can give you the dichotomy of what was going on in my head for that last round. So going into round three, I only had about $5 in my pocket, other than, you know, everything I had stashed away for endgame scoring points. So, and like you said, money is super tight in this game. So I basically had two options. I was in a position where I could just sprint real fast and get off the map within my first turn. And then I don't have to worry about cash on hand if I'm going to go out later in turn order. So I did end up deciding to do that. I did the sprint on my very first turn of day three, left the map. Because I didn't want to go through the fight of trying to earn more money to make sure I had enough to get away with. Because my final couple of turns would have actually just been spent making money to spend to get off the map in the first place. Mm. With maybe a couple of extra bonus points at the very end of the game to add into my final tally. But primarily it would have just been me earning money to be able to do what I could have done on my first turn. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds unfortunate yeah and, I, and i'm I, sure I, there's a lot in the game i'm not seeing for optimization yeah get with I mean, more it's, plays. it's it's let's start again it's, it's an oh, optimization yeah. <laughs> puzzle there's actually a decent amount of player interactivity you can you i did of, like that yeah you're, you're you're first of all you're you're managing notoriety so as you do certain actions uh there's this balancing act of where you may be noticed a little bit more and sometimes you want to be noticed a little bit more because it allows you to take certain actions versus others right also gives you a little more control over where the police are moving during that time. Right. So so then it gives you a little bit of control over where the police are moving. So you can send police officers in in certain directions. Uh, at certain points, if your notoriety is too high, other players can send police officers in your direction. So I, I kind of like that. And it's, it's extremely thematic. Like I said, there was a lot of the game I really did like. I, I would love to see it reworked with... A, even just being in a different timeline of that same story. Let's let's have this pick up like as we're exiting the bank we just knocked off and we're trying to get away from the police and we're all trying to throw each other under the bus. Like I, I'm not a big fan of take that mechanisms in games, but that to me would be hysterical. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with you. Like I, I, I would also like to see a game <laughs> where they it, it was the actual heist. 
the right. original heist. Like, I, that, that would be really cool, but um, that's not this game. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? And and I I think this game's really good. It and is. I, I don't want to fixate it, on what the game could have been. Sure. I want to fixate on what the game is. And it's a really good game, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I didn't want episode one to be me coming out of the gate being Debbie Downer on games that are actually really phenomenally made. It just so happened that we picked the one that really... I A lot of games, I just get lukewarm and be like, yeah, it was fine. It was underwhelming. It was whelming. Not a big deal. This one just, for whatever reason, did rub me the wrong way. And, and you know what? You're, you're, you're not the only one. I think that the, the general consensus of people that are that really enjoy Vitell Asserted Games is that this is his weakest. I'm sort of, uh, I'm in the minority here thinking that it's his best. Um, well, I know a and, lot of people said that it was his lightest, which I think is probably accurate from what I've played. Yeah, it's it's definitely his lightest. But but again, not to say, it, it's not a light game. Oh, yeah. Actually, I actually think the, the weight on BGG is, is, is too low. Do you, do you remember what it's rated at? It was like a three, somewhere between like a three five and a three eight. It's it's a heavy game. It's not nearly as heavy as his other games. BGG isn't far off from where you would put it then, because they put it at three point seven. Yeah, so I would put it higher though. Like a th- there's a big difference between a three seven and like a three nine. I actually don't pay attention to those weight scores on BGG, so I don't have a huge frame of reference to. Yeah, go I pay from. too much attention to them. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're probably I, better off for doing that. I don't I know about that because I've picked up a couple of games being like, oh, this is going to be great. This is just going to be this nice little midweight style game. And it comes out to the table and it's just, it's Candyland. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, also like BGG weight is weird because they're, they're factoring in uh, rules, complexity, and like strategic depth. And right. I, and I'm, I'm of the opinion that those two should be separated. Um, and it, that, that sort of gives you different information about what you're getting into. And and this is definitely, I think this is less strategic depth than other Lacerda games. It's not devoid of it, but it's it's slightly less strategic depth. It does definitely feel more tactical because you're making choices based on the current board state regularly. Definitely, um, and the rules overhead, it's it's a little lighter, but there's there's still a lot of rules overhead. These rules are not, you know, easy to learn. You have to you have to you have to read the rule book. Um, there's a lot of setup. Um, it's going to be easier for someone who's familiar with like a Lacerda game, but like it's it's not like I, I wouldn't give this to someone who who isn't expecting a heavy Euro game. Oh God, no! What I will say though is Eagle Griffin did a phenomenal job on the production. It is a super well made game. Yeah, they they tend to do a good job on the production as long as the name is Vitell Lacerda on the box. <laughs> <laughs> Are but, you saying and, they play favorites? I think they play favorites. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Yeah, no, the, it's 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 beautiful. You know, it's got the mm-hmm. sort of the chunky cardboard and everything, the the nice recessed boards, the the Eno tool artwork. I love the the money in this and the sort of the the player screens that at a a angle look like a real money bag. It, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. There was a couple of times where I did a double take looking across the table at those screens. It's it's uh, I mean a lot of that was you know tool like I, oh, I sure. mean, he's 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 got to be the one of my favorites and you know many people's favorites in terms of actual like art and design in, in the board game industry today. So overall, 
would you recommend this game? And I think we know the answer, but I need to hear it. Oh yeah, I I I'd give this uh, I'd give this two thumbs up. Ooh, <laughs> I would give it one sideways and one down. That's, that's a little better the, than I expected. Okay, so you might be honestly you're you're slightly turning me around on it. I I feel more now than I did before that I definitely need to give it another playthrough because I was after the first one and uh, granted again I set it up at the front I had only played the game once so please keep all of that in mind while you're listening to this but it's I I had described it to a friend of mine when he asked if I would recommend it and I said well if packing for the family vacation the game sounds like something you would want to play then absolutely this is the way to go because the whole time all you're doing it's four people sitting around the table grabbing all the stuff that they need for this vacation, throwing it into the car, and then at the very last minute, everyone jumps at the car at the same time and drives off. And it was, like we talked about before, to me that's a no-tension scenario. Everyone's getting mm-hmm. in the car, everyone's going on the vacation. It doesn't matter who packed the best. So I think I undersold it to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would I would not describe it that way. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I've... I've felt some of the, the greatest tension I've ever felt in a board game in, in Escape Plan in that that last day. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd recommend another playthrough of this. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a second chance. And, I, I by the way, I've, I've verified that I was not playing the rules wrong and you were playing the rules wrong. So, like, if, if one person doesn't manage to escape, uh, that doesn't apply to all players. It's, okay. It's, that person is eliminated and... Whoever escapes, escapes, and then it's highest points wins. Okay. I may have been thinking of Burgle Brothers with that rule Mm. and just automatically applying it in my head because a lot of the time while we were playing it, I kept comparing it to Burgle Brothers because, I, again, I wanted to be playing a game where we're going through the heist. (laughs) Yep. Oh, sure. Yep. (laughs) That's Escape Plan by Vitella Serta. Since this is episode one, Adam and I are getting to know each other as co-hosts. You're getting to know us as listeners. I thought it would behoove us to play a bunch of ridiculous board game-themed icebreakers. So I have a few of them prepared. Adam, if you could pick only one, the ugliest, beigeest Euro game with mechanics of the highest elegance or the prettiest, most thematic, colossal game with decent, okay mechanics, but not as elegant as the first option, which game would you choose to play? So if I'm hearing this right, the second one, the prettier one, is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous artwork and aesthetics. Yeah, and the game's pretty good. And and that's what I was double-checking. Like the, The mechanisms themselves are actually fair. Yeah, but the first game is, it's, it's ugly, it's it's beige, it's your typical <laughs> Euro game, but it's it's got the best mechanics. Okay. They're super elegant. It is a beautiful game. I was um, I was going to hem and haw a little bit and try to drag it out, but in truth, I've already made this choice. I picked the first one, the ugliest, beigeest Euro game with mechanics of the highest elegance. It's sitting on my shelf right now. It's called Lignum. It's a great <laughs> game. It is my absolute favorite. Number one game all time ever hasn't been dethroned yet. I I, I, I like when there's some disagreement 
as we saw with the escape plan. But you know, I I, I would I would agree with you. I I want the best game mechanically, uh, and I I care like a little bit about theme and 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 design. But at the well, end of the game, sure. Yeah, the at the end of the day, gay, I, I care far more about the mechanics, and I can completely forget about the design design and aesthetics of the game. And I could so. have guessed that after the way you were talking about Hands of Teutonica. So, because that is a fairly ugly game as well, originally. People call it an ugly game, but I actually don't think it's that bad. So the boxes are really ugly. But if you if you look at the the game board, there's actually like really nice embellishments and details. And I I, I think the the ugliness is is overblown. But yes, um, it's it's not known for being a pretty game, and I love it. <laughs> All right. It's my turn. Would you rather have to eat a Carcassonne meeple or a Carcassonne tile? Ooh. Um, I, I'm going to go with a Carcassonne tile. And let, let me let me tell you why. Uh, so that, that meeple is, is made of wood. And that's not going down too well. The tile, although it's, it's a hard cardboard, I, I think you could... You could chew on it a bit, um, <laughs> put some saliva in there, soften it up a bit. All right, you know what? Hang on one second here. Are you going to eat a Carcassonne tile? Uh-oh. Because I want you to hear what those tiles sound like. Because I don't think you're thinking this through. This is the sound of two Carcassonne tiles tapping together. Oof. Yeah, man, that is hard. Brittle cardboard. This is not your. You could spill the drink on the table, and these would not absorb any of it. They're so dense. Hmm. Those meeples are kind of big, though. Well, I'm looking at my copy of Carcassonne the Castle, so <laughs> I don't remember how big the original ones are. These aren't too bad, though. Yeah. Uh, well, it, if my logic falls apart with the tile, I, then I, I, I'd obviously have to choose the meeple. Um, lots of liquid, maybe, you know, bundle it up in, you know, something slimy and, and, and try to like swallow it whole. Yeah, I think you're right though. The tile's the right way to go. I tried to dissuade you, but I may have talked myself into it anyway, so. (laughs) looky there. (laughs) I just wanted to make it harder. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of meeple, and, and this is bothering me lately, so. Meeple is a derivation of you know my people, so it's it's meeple. Uh, so the singular version of of meeple should really be uh, a merson. Any thoughts on that? Disagree. It is a meeple. When the I hold grammar. it up, I oh, and I'm all for grammar, even though I speak poor English. It is a meeple. Every rule book, every reference you pick up. When you hold up one of those little figures, it is a meeple. And a merson sounds more like a mermaid person to me. <laughs> like, I'm picturing this little wooden dude with a tail, and I feel like he should be floating in my bathtub. I, I, I think I've seen merson used in that context, actually. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's a real thing. Oh, all right. Um, Vindicated. Yeah, but, but, but that being said, gif or jif? It is a gif. Oh, no, no, it's jif. Yeah, Jif is peanut butter. No, I mean that's also Jif. Uh-huh. But <laughs> but but applying the same logic there, 
So I feel like GIF is the logical extension. It's like, it should be GIF. But it's not. I, I believe you're right. Like, the actual creator, and going back, yeah. they they had claimed that it was GIF. I just yeah. refuse to say that. Yeah, well, it, it should be Merson, <laughs> but it's Meeple. Because it we speak the language. We don't just read it. So, so okay. speaking of peanut butter... Do you allow food at your gaming table? Yeah, I I allow food. I allow drinks. Um, games are meant to be enjoyed, and I, I think food really helps enhances that experience. Now, if you go and drink, uh, drop beer on my game, I'm gonna be mad at you. But you know, hopefully you don't do that. And if it happens, uh, hopefully the game's still in print, and it's you know you know fifty sixty dollar mistake. At the worst. And we're the same way at ours. Um, our game nights are Friday. Our friends come over. We regularly have dry snacks at the table. <laughs> we're not sitting around eating chicken wings while we're playing. But we'll regularly have you know candy on the table. And we'll have beers out at the table and stuff like that. We did have a spill mishap once. Um, it was actually my first copy of Burgle Brothers, since we're talking about it beer hit the table and those cardboard tiles did soak up every last drop so we didn't have to buy a second copy of the game but i'm happy to support tim fowers because he is just a good good dude absolutely all right well that's a wrap that's that's episode one of the board game squad podcast if you want to get a hold of us you can find us at boardgamesquad.com i'm on instagram at aka adam reynolds and I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Meeple Castle. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you come back, and may all your roles be natural 20s. Thanks for playing. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next edition of Board Game Squad. It's boardgamesquad.com slash podcast. I said subscribe. I'm waiting... Seriously? On behalf of Adam and Paul, thanks for tuning in. My name is not important. At least to Adam and Paul. Dude, it's your turn.